I mean, what a vast subject this is. Uh, I think it was my choice of title. I'm sorry about that. It's hopelessly vast. Um, but I think, in a way, it's good enough to provoke, I hope, some discussion and to get some ideas in discussion, which I can then plagiarise mercilessly as I try and improve this talk. Um, so I hope I won't do too much injustice to the subject. Um, <clears throat> let me begin by saying or suggesting that security is achieved through both action and preparation. In other words, I think security is about both the present and it's about the near and medium term future. I think there are plenty of current security challenges we could talk about. The defence budget, I think, is a pretty pressing security challenge in its own right. Operations in Afghanistan and how to conclude them in three or four years' time. Piracy, organised crime, counter-terrorism, uh, trafficking in narcotics and people, and so on and so forth. But what I'm going to try and talk about this afternoon, what I'm going to try and do is look a little bit further ahead, if you'll permit me. Um, I want to look really at the problem of anticipation and prevention and deterrence and so on, and indeed the, 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 the question of risk. I'm going to be rather gloomy, and I'm going to describe a few horrors and a few crises in waiting, as I see them. Um, but I'm also going to suggest that the real challenge is actually not merely to describe these near-term security futures, complex and volatile though they are, but to analyse them and to ask what all this means, um, really. How can we, as they say, get our arms around it? Um, have we, for example, moved into a new paradigm of nat national and international security? I'm also then going to think about the response. Um, what sort of response or responses might be most appropriate and by whom <clears throat> or what? So the description bit, uh, which I've called here 21st century security challenges. I think there will probably be terrorism, the proliferation of unconventional weapons, uh, CBRN. There will be interstate conflict in the 21st century. I think there might well be terrorist use of CBRN devices in crowded places. And I think we can all think of other uh, military and semi-military scenarios to keep ourselves awake at night. But there are also other challenges which might well, I think, prove more problematic and which will have effect nationally in Europe and internationally. And they're listed on this slide. Oh, it's the, it's this one. No, next one. It doesn't need a phone to my wife. Cool. Look at that. Fantastic. Um, and you could add to this list, you know, it doesn't really have a great deal of authority. You could add terrorism, of course, in its own right. You could add, you could add, you could add tyrants and individuals who decide to, you know, to um, do what tyrants and, and despots decide to do whenever they do it. A very familiar list, and I'm not going to go through each, don't worry. Instead, I'm just going to select four of these topics and, and just discuss them very briefly in, in turn. Um, and to give you some sense, or to relay what I, I, some, of the, some of the difficulties which I think we might be about to encounter. And I'm going, as you can see, I'm going to look at um, what the Cabinet Office refers to as hazards rather than threats. That's to say natural challenges, security challenges, rather than man-made threats. But I think all of these um, could or will or are developing into uh, more, uh, more human security problems as opposed to uh, natural hazards. Population and demography, first of all. According to the Population Division of the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs, global population will rise from just under 7 billion last year to a predicted peak of just over 9 in 2050. Um, 
the most acute stresses as a result of this, according to the UK DCDC, the uh, Development Concepts and Doctrine Centre, the MOD think tank, the most acute stresses are likely to arise from competition for energy, food and fresh water, as well as access to the global commons. All fairly obvious. More to the point, these stresses might be felt most closely in those regions of the world and those sectors of humanity which already face the greatest economic, social and political risks. And they go on to say thus, if the population of sub-Saharan Africa is almost to double by 2040, and if the proportion of that region's population suffering malnutrition remains constant, then almost 500 million people are likely to require periodic humanitarian assistance by the middle of the century. Almost 500 million. Food and fresh water. This is a gallop. According to the World Economic Forum Global Risks 2010 report, current level of investments in agriculture will not be sufficient to drive the 70% increase in food production necessary to feed an expected population of 9, they call it 9.1 billion, uh, by 2050. So we're all going to start starving. Fresh water will also be in increasingly short supply. The US National Intelligence Council uh, Global Trends 2025 report, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but quite a useful document. Uh, not as good as the DCDC one, I'd hasten to add. Um, they note that lack of access to stable supplies of water is reaching unprecedented proportions in many areas of the world and is likely to grow worse owing to rapid urbanization and population growth. And they go on to say that by 2030, there will be a 40% shortfall between a 40%, 40% shortfall between the amount of water India requires to meet its own energy and food production needs and the water available to do so. 40% shortfall. Energy security, in the judgment of the International Energy Agency, <coughs> primary energy demand is expected to increase by 40% uh, between 2007 and 2030. Um, they go on to say that recoverable oil res uh, coal reserves could last for well over another century at current rates of usage. Global oil reserves at the end of 2009 could last for another 40 years of consumption at current rates, and proven gas reserves could be sufficient for another 60 years at current rates, although there could be uh, an available or recoverable gas resource base uh, something like five times that as, as, as big. So gas is the future, but not for very long. Um, nevertheless, they say near-term energy security concerns uh, this, sorry, this is the DCDC. Uh, their concern is that the issue of energy security is one in which governments and defence organisations will have to be engaged if states are to maintain their standards of living and to ensure adequate supplies of natural resources at reasonable prices. Again, fairly obvious conclusion to be drawn. Um, climate change. Um, DCDC, once again, describe climate change as a ring road issue. By that they mean one of the four key drivers for change that will affect the lives of everyone on the planet. It's difficult, they say, to know how and when life will be affected by climate change, but the consensus among international security forecasts is rather gloomy. Sorry, that's me, not them. Uh, a typical of the mood, I've just extracted a bit from the 2009 UK national security strategy, uh, not the latest one, obviously, but it, I think it gets into this rather well. They said, a wide range of social, economic and political problems, such as large-scale migration, water stress, crop failure and food shortages, faster and wider spread of diseases, increased scarcity of resources, economic instability and the possibility of new geopolitical disputes. Climate changes will increase poverty in the developing world, and though the links are complex, could tip fragile states into instability, conflict and state failure. It sort of makes you wonder what the cabinet office chats about over coffee, you know, when they produce things like that. I mean, it's so utterly dismal. I don't know if you, any of you have read Solar, the latest novel by Ian McEwan, which I just finished reading and, and enjoyed enormously. At one point, um, McEwan refers to 
quote, the indistinct cartoon of a calamitous future in which all must bake, shiver, or drown. Uh, later in the, in the novel, uh, his anti-hero, Beard, reassures his colleague, Toby. They've got this deal going to make um, solar panels. And Toby's quite anxious. Uh, he's heard doubts about climate change, <clears throat> about whether it's happening. And is concerned that the, this, this insid insidious doubt about climate change will affect the sales of their solar panels. Toby, listen, says Beard. It's a catastrophe. Relax. <laughs> the causes and effects of climate change seem stubbornly open to debate, I think, and I don't want to get drawn into uh, th this debate at all. But I think it is fair to say that there is debate about whether it's happening, and if it is happening, whether we're causing it. I simply don't have the scientific knowledge and the training to form uh, my own judgment, and I'm wary actually of being sort of expected to take a leap of faith in either one direction. Uh, or another. I like to see myself um, uh, sceptical of these things, but properly sceptical of these things. I simply don't know, and I'm open-minded and trying to find out, uh, etc. Nevertheless, I think it's important to note that in the NIC, the US NIC, National Intelligence Council, again, Global Trends 25, 2025, they make a key point that just worries, in quotes, about these effects may cause nations to take unilateral actions to secure resources, territory, and other interests. In other words, it doesn't even need to be happening. Uh, we're fairly uh, confident that something is going on and we're going to see nations, states and governments acting as if it were imminent. I think a few paragraphs, these points I've been through, describe a future that is so singularly unattractive as to provoke a, a sort of enervating pessimism of the sort that W.H. Auden um, described almost 40 years ago when he said, our world rapidly worsens, nothing now is so horrid or silly it can't occur. I think the more prosaic point to make is that these security challenges and the threats and the hazards could either be expressed in military terms, either directly or indirectly, or they could require a military response of some, uh, of some description, or they can contribute to general uh, turbulence and instability and insecurity. And I think taken together, all these security challenges make the more traditionally conceived um, Cold War and post-Cold War threats, interstate war, terrorism, proliferation and so on, pale somewhat into insignificance. They're not insignificant but when you put them against the sorts of things that might be coming, uh, they do look relatively less important. What is needed, I think, is a response which is appropriate, comprehensive, decisive and above all anticipatory and preventive. Very, very easy to insist upon but immensely difficult to organise in, in policy making terms. Where on earth do we begin? When do we act? What should we do? A recent document produced by the European Defence Agency sets out the scale of the task, so forgive me, I'll quote this again. The global context is sobering, with the central predictions of demography and economics foreshadowing a Europe which two decades hence will be older, less preeminently prosperous, and surrounded by regions, including Africa and the Middle East, which may struggle to cope with the consequences of globalisation. Defence will need to contend with public finances under pressure from a growing pension burden, a shrinking recruitment pool, and societies increasingly cautious about interventionary operations, concerned with issues of legitimacy in the use of force, and inclined to favour security, in inverted commas, over defence, in inverted commas, spending. So that's the description, full of gloom. What does it all mean? So let me move on to the analysis bit. I think the question here is how much of what I just described can be understood and managed through the prism of 20th century security and strategy, which, whether we like it or not, is still pretty much the 
the, the prison within, within which we work. The next slide shows some of the, um, the typical features of 20th century strategic thinking as I see it. Now, yeah, there's even less authority in this, in this slide. Every, every time I come back to it, I, I change it and I, I, I add bits and there are more lines coming in and out all the time. But I, as I did, I just simply tried to list the things that struck me as being typical of late 20th century strategic thinking. And then, and, and you've got the idea, I wondered how they, how, they, how they might look in the 21st century, how old strategy, in a sense, strains to meet the new adversary, in inverted commas. I think the point here is that the old strategy uh, might have to contend with the old adversary as well. In other words, we might conceivably see the recrudescence of interstate warfare. Well, in a way, we already have. Georgia, 2008. So the list of scenarios and problems, it seems to me, keeps growing. Um, and it's increasingly difficult to chop anything off the list. Uh, it's, as I say, it seems unwise or even unsafe to elim eliminate anything from that list. And for those responsible for national strategy and its implication, they can neither merely describe this future, nor can they allow themselves to be overwhelmed by it, no matter how dismal it might be. Um, I think if it's to be worthy of the name, of its name, the national strategy um, has to engage as fully as possible with scenarios of the sort described here, no matter how uncertain, how dark, and how overwhelming they might be. National strategy, I think, shouldn't only, should show not only that preparations have been made to, its, to meet ex 